Welcome to the Swamp Place Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I am Boomer. Hi, I'm Allie. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. This is the 50th episode of these Lanyap editions that we've been doing for going on two years now, it feels like. Woo! Yeah, the, the math checks out. If we do it every <laughs> other week and there's 52 Boy, weeks a year. If you love math, this is the episode for you. It is. It really, <laughs> really is. <laughs> I was doing some very easy math earlier where I was like, so if we've done three episodes on Cube and it's episode 50, that means that 6% of our podcast episodes together have been about Cube. Yes! Which feels like yeah. a very high number. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it will only get smaller from here. Yeah. Unless, true, true. unless, unless they start making more Cubes, which, uh, based on this one, I doubt. Or based on this one, actually, maybe they will. Apparently, there's been an American like reboot that's been in like development hell for like six or seven years. It's oh. just been threatening to come out. <laughs> so we're never safe. There's going to be more Cube episodes. We're not leaving Cube alive. <laughs> uh, oh, what a curse <laughs> I've brought upon us! <laughs> but I guess I guess uh, I'm getting ahead of us. Uh, we're getting ahead your of ourselves. Monkey's paw. <laughs> I guess uh, <laughs> my monkey's paw. My monkey's cube. Um, <laughs> Just pictured like an orangutan with a Rubik's cube. Um, just so yeah. You know. uh, well, we just have a lot ape. to talk about Sorry. tonight, and I know Brandon, you've been at a festival, so I'm going to go ahead and say what I've been watching because I don't want to take the floor too long before we let you uh, tell us about all the cool shit that you saw. Yeah. Um, I have only watched two movies other than this one since we last spoke, uh, and they're they're sort of tangentially related. Uh, first, I watched Drag Me to Hell from 2009 for the first time. I had never seen it. I had not seen that either. Oh. Yeah, I But I also watched the Sam Raimi movie today. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> See, I expected this group, based on every time I mention some, like, horror movie from when I was in college and not going to the movies, like, 07 or 08, Usually at least one of y'all is like, oh, yeah, I know all about, you know, Urban Legend 3, the final cut or whatever. <laughs> and I do not. You know, Drag Me to Hell, maybe it's just because of the self-selection of the algorithm, but it seemed like Drag Me to Hell constantly was trending on Twitter um, a couple of weeks ago. And I think it had something to do with like Multiverse of Madness coming out. And that being like the last time that Sam Raimi made a movie and et cetera, et cetera. So I had never seen it because in 09, that was like a period of time where I was just like not going to the movies at all. I think in 2009, I went and saw maybe Watchmen. And that might have been like the only time I went to the movies that year. And horror movies weren't really great around that time. I think we all know that. We talk about this a lot. But this one is on Hulu. And so it there wasn't any reason not to, especially since the internet kept reminding me that it existed. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I give it a four out of five stars. It is really interesting to see Sam Raimi make a PG-13 movie. Like, I know that he did that with the Spider-Man movies, but make like a PG-13 horror movie. Matt, while we were watching it, said, you know, Sam Raimi, while making this movie, just... Every moment that he could asked himself, how do I make this ooey gooey? You know, it's very goopy and gross. And to me, it actually kind of feels like a distant Evil Dead sequel. 
Because huh. the the being that is coming to drag our uh, protagonist to hell is very Deadite-esque in many ways. And uh, there's like a weird humor to it that's present in Evil Dead 2 and, and Army of Darkness. It's more in line with Evil Dead 2. It's not full-on goofy as much as Army of Darkness, but there's a lot of great sequences in it. There's been a lot of scholarship over the years online about how it relates to like uh, the horror of like eating disorders. Like there's a lot of like subtlety and implication to the particular way that the protagonist is cursed and how that might relate to her own issues with like eating. And yeah, uh, it was really cool. I recommend it. It's on Hulu. Why not? And then the other thing that I saw was I finally saw the 2013 Evil Dead remake. Ooh, I have no interest in that. I was going to say, I, I <laughs> have not watched it, and I don't, yeah, I don't really have. I just hate the director. You do, but I don't, is the thing. Who is the director of this one? Uh, I think his name is Fetty Alvarez, yep. and he. this was like a, this was his premiere, and then a few years later he made Don't Breathe, which uh, Brandon and I are very divided about. It ended up being one of my favorite movies of the year, and Brandon hates it, and I don't. I don't begrudge him that. <laughs> I I didn't care for it. You know, I'll be honest. I, I think that, how do I describe this? So this was something that my friend Danny years and years and years ago was like, oh, you've got to watch the Evil Dead sequel. Because I showed him Army of Darkness. And he was like, yeah, I like that. But he had just seen like Evil Dead in theaters and he was like really into it. And I will say it's very well made, actually. It's very impressive. The gore is impressive. It's actually pretty creepy and scary. It's just it's just kind of joyless. There's just like there's a lot going on that I think is very interesting in it. I like that the book gets read because of a fascination on the part of this English teacher, and they have a reason why they can't just leave which is that they are there to basically help the leads younger sister go through heroin withdrawal like they've brought her out to this cabin for the purpose of isolation so that she can like go cold turkey because previous attempts to get her off of drugs did not go as well and so there's an interesting element there especially when it comes to like a reason for them to be at the cabin in the first place, a reason that they can't leave. It creates this like different stakes to it. There, it's, it's in many ways a very multi-layered film, but I just, I didn't like it. I don't want to watch it again. Not a fan. Can I confess here that I don't even like the original evil dead that much? Like I'm not a big Sam Raimi super fan. Like I do love dark man and a couple other movies and I like his like visual eye. And I know you don't like Bruce Campbell, which should be no. That's another problem. What? Yeah. Wait, I don't think that I knew this. What's your what? He does... He's like Jim Carrey, but even less funny. And I don't find Jim Carrey very funny. It's been a great fifty episode run, everybody. I think I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to log off now. <laughs> now Bruce Campbell is more of a problem for me in Army of Darkness, which I saw for the first time as an adult and just did not get what every ten year old who grew up loving it held on to, uh, but. The first one, what really bugged me was the tree rape, and I do not expect that Fede Alvarez would have a uh, softer, more understanding touch to that scene in the film. Um, and, and if anything, I expect he approached it with like 
glee based on his uh writing on don't breathe and on uh, the the new texas chainsaw massacre remake which i did kind of like even though it was perversely disgusting in the same way after that happened i was like oh i didn't expect that that would be in this movie um, yeah, skip it yeah it is not as protracted i will say but i mean uh, you know w- what does that mean that's not a defense yeah yeah it really soured me on the original in a way that I don't think I've ever recovered from. Like there's, I love the, all like the low to the ground cinematography that like has been copied so many times from that film. And like a lot of the, um, just sort of like DIY people in the woods, just sort of like making a show, like putting on a, na- a show, for the neighborhood <laughs> feeling of it. Um, it's just, I can get that from other places without feeling as icky about it. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. I'll look, I'm I'm not saying that everybody needs to love Evil Dead. I'm certainly not, but I am saying that everyone should love Bruce Campbell, and I'm I'm shocked so and appalled. My that you're my not big into thing it. is Bruce Campbell. Like, he's fine in movies, but he's so much better as a television guest star. Like, he's oh, great well, that's the, in <laughs> he won't get an argument. He's great from in me. that X Files episode. I loved Ash versus. I don't. Know I did if... not watch that one. Did you give it a shot, Brandon? I couldn't imagine anything less appealing than watching that television show. It's just not for me. Wait, do you do you even hate like Bubba Hotep? I mean, I enjoyed that when it came out, but I was also, you know, a teenager, so I have no clue. Wow. Okay. Maybe I would enjoy it still. I don't know. I just saw most of that stuff that he was famous for for the first time as an adult. And it just didn't hit me the way it was supposed to. And I, I know that's like a relatively blasphemous opinion among like horror nerds. Like I, I have the same problem with a lot of Stuart Gordon movies that people love. Just find it very like juvenile and not a good way. <laughs> I like a lot of juvenile art uh, from those two in particular. I don't know. I think they were outperformed by other people in their field. Well, this has been a very eye-opening experience. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's all that I have seen. And all that I will say, Allie, what have you been watching? I watched a few things. I gave a rewatch to Being John Malkovich, which I still very much enjoy. And I totally forgot that it ends on like a happy gay note, which was nice. It was a pleasant surprise to be uh, reminded of that. Happy Pride. Yeah, happy Pride. Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Happy Pride to Cameron Diaz and to no one else. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, no. I, I'll ex- I'll extend it to many other people, but um, so far, yeah, uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. I don't know um, if y'all have any strong opinions one way or another about being John Malkovich, but it blew my little mind when I was a teenager. Yeah, I I mean it's it's still great. It's still great. I'm going to say it. The only thing that really sticks with me is that scene where he goes into his own mind and everyone is John Malkovich. Yes. Like that really yes. stuck with, in my brain. It still rattles around in there. Yeah. It's great. I'm very pro being John Malkovich. I love, I love an adaptation when Malkovich is like on set mm-hmm. or when Kaufman is on set for the shooting of the Malkovich Malkovich scene. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. It's so good. And I think also all the time, a couple of years ago, there was there was some like credit card commercial where John Malkovich was going to retire and make shoes or some shit, um, become like a cobbler. 
And it always made me think about Him Malkovich quitting a to become a puppeteer. puppeteer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still really great. Um, there's just so many, sh- like, so many weird, like, strange little details thrown in that it's just like, this is, this is wonderful. Kaufman and Jones working together, I think, are both of them at the, like, the best that they can be. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that they improve each other, and I think that neither of them has made anything as good without the other. Yeah. Even though her is, you know, it is great. And eh. I was very fond of Anomalisa, and I'm thinking of ending things, although I not everyone I have not seen those was. two yet, but her, I don't know. I don't know why her just kind of bored me, but I liked the colors. I was a bigger fan of Where the Wild Things Are. And I, that was not yeah, well I was going to say, I liked Where the Wild Things Are. <laughs> you know, I've never seen it. Again, that came out in 2009, and oh. I was just <laughs> well, watching movies. I, I did see Synecdoche, New York, which I came out in 08. I oh, also really? hate it. I hate it very much. Friendship back on. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Can I also put in good, a good word for um, Spike Jones for being a core member of the Jackass crew? If you want me to spoil the friendship being back on again, I can turn it off. You're really, you're really like, really you're really like, it. let me find that thin red line. <laughs> I'm going for the jugular today. Um, I also watched this West German movie from 1978 called Madam X, an Absolute Ruler. Hell yeah, that Ulrika Ottinger yeah. box that they just put on Criterion. I was so excited about that. I haven't seen that particular one, but I do love her. I enjoyed it, but, you know, I think I'm very rarely like, oh man, I wish this movie had more narrative, but I really wish it did because the narrative it had, I really enjoyed because I'm all about gay pirates and pirates just generally. I mean, yeah, I think it suffers from being more experimental like it's too long to be as experimental as it is and as like avant-garde as it is in my opinion that makes sense i think you would like it but i think you're probably gonna have the same opinion i have like it's worth it for the clothing and the gaze and the concept because i love that's how i felt about her movie um freak orlando that came to I think it was like movie for a week or something like a year ago. And it was like her version of Orlando, but it was like set in the future. And everyone was just wearing the most outrageous fashion and was just like in your face, like queer activist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, confrontational yep. art. Uh-huh. Um, but in the same way that you're describing, it was a little aimless yeah. <laughs> for its length. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't begrudge it being like in your face or obnoxious or like super queer at all. I love all of that. I just wish just trim down, just trim down a little bit. And it's interesting. She did the Orlando adaptation because the boat in this movie is named Chinese Orlando. Wow. Oh yeah. And that is the other um, criticism I have is like, there's white German ladies playing people who were like supposed to be Chinese or like Pacific Islanders um, uh. which I understand like DIY filmmaker queer activists in 1978 West Germany like probably can't find <laughs> a whole lot of 
Chinese and Pacific Islander people. But, you know, why write it that way, I guess. Anyway, that's, that's like, the biggest, like, uh, but everything else, you know, it's enjoyable, but it's also kind of one of those things you can, like, space out and then come back to, and you really haven't missed much, because everything is just dragged out. Can I make a suggestion, like a recommendation? Yeah! And this is coming from a very naive place, because her work is, like, very under-distributed, like, compared to, like, other German New Wave people, like, mm-hmm. you know, Herzog and Fassbender, yeah. like... It's so hard to see her work. Yeah. And I've been like waiting for like little distribution bubbles to pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Freak Orlando was like, it might have been on Criterion last Pride, actually, instead of movie. It was a very like short time frame to watch it. Yeah. Um, and then a year before that, I saw this movie called Ticket of No Return that she did, which I think is also in this Criterion. What did they call those little pocket collections on the channel? Like a uh, little mini collections, little sub collections. I saw one called Ticket of No Return that's, like, about this woman who's an alcoholic, and it's, like, basically leaving Las Vegas. Like, she goes to Berlin to, like, drink herself to death. And like Freak Orlando, and it sounds like Madame X, like, there's not much to it um, narratively, but she just wears more and more outrageous, like, Euro fashion outfits every scene and gets so drunk in public that it's, like just outright nihilistic (laughs) like you could just she's basically just like poisoning herself with alcohol um and going to all these lesbian bars and like underground joints in berlin and it's just like fantastic like that one actually really worked for me but it sounds like most of her work is kind of like aimless in that way yeah which you know i'm mostly fine with like i freaking love Things like daisies, you know, which is the most similar kind of tone I can compare this to. But at the same time, it's, you know, so much, like, so stretched out. What was the Herzog movie with the chicken that, like, performs music? Yeah, Yeah. like, that was kind of the vibe I got from her. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Whatever that is, you're just kind of, like, hanging out Uh, and weird things happen from time to time. And everything's kind of like a diorama. Yeah. But the fashion is so good. I was going to say, the fashion is amazing i just like oh man i want to dress like that so yeah i you know i think you would like it i think it's worth watching especially like you said because it's like from an underseen director and once again happy pride have some gay pirates (laughs) that was the one i was most excited to see in the collection too yeah you should watch it whatever you do for pride month you should watch something with gay pirates in it that's all i'm saying I think just for the concept, because basically the idea is there's this pirate queen who puts out a bulletin to women all around the world saying, like, leave your boring lives, come join me on the sea. I'm on the hook. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So the concept is amazing. um, And the clothes are amazing. And once again, like, a lot of the narrative is great. It's just... Everything in between is very, like, obnoxious and drawn out. You know, I think you have more patience for that than a lot of people, but yeah. And because I finally read the book for the first time, uh, I finally watched Interview with a Vampire for the first time, which I really enjoyed, actually. And it's so weird to me, this movie, because you've got so many great actors just giving like this corny like 
110% performance. And then Brad Pitt just feels so wooden in it. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, Tom Cruise in this movie is out of control and amazing. I don't know. Like, I don't think I've ever liked a Tom Cruise performance as much as an interview with a vampire. It really is his, like, <laughs> he would not realize this and he would argue against it. But it is his greatest work. It really is. It's just amazing. Like I said, like everybody in it is just like camping it up. And then you've got Brad Pitt, which I mean, I know like his character is like all broody sad boy, but still. He's often, uh, we don't talk about this a lot, but he is often pretty wooden. Yeah, it's Uh, true. It's true. I don't don't know if you ever saw Meet Joe Black, but like what? (laughs) That's a a movie that's very difficult to pay attention to. Yep. Uh, And he's so wooden in that and that's from this sort of same well i would say it's from the same era but so is like fight club and seven which are his like two most i guess notable performances of his like highlight of his career so i don't know if i could stand up for him a little bit it's like good that he uses his clout as like a extremely handsome man to like get projects funded that wouldn't normally have money yeah uh, oh, whether yeah. or not he's good in those projects is up for debate on a case by case basis. But I like that he, I like the way he chooses what to do with his like handsome boy clout. No one's trying to knock down your crush. We promise. Yeah, we promise. <laughs> it's okay. There were really hot photos of him in like a bodycon dresses in Rolling Stone during the promotion cycle for Fight Club that I don't know that I have ever gotten over actually. <laughs> <laughs> he wears these really big like. Um, 60s like lounging by the pool sunglasses and these like kind of psychedelic bodycon dresses and he looks amazing look him up uh, yeah <laughs> worth a google happy pride once again everybody <laughs> so basically i watched a movie with gay cameron diaz a gay pirate movie and a gay vampire movie so i'm living it up a full hat trick you've got you've got like a gay pride hump to carry you all the way across the desert <laughs> i know i'm so happy about it also, you know, we were talking about fashion in uh, Madame X, but I would wear so many of those vampire outfits. Like, just give me Lestat's, like, whole wardrobe. I will run about town. I did hear tale of a vampire bar in the quarter. Um, yesterday I was talking to people oh my God, at that I'm horror sure. movie festival. And it sounded like there was, like, a vampire speakeasy in the quarter. I believe it. That you need, like, a special invite God, to go there to. Would be. I mean, I believe it. I just find that, like, French Quarter vampires just look like fancy goths and not actually, like, 1700s dandies, like Tom Cruise's outfits, where he's wearing all those teal and, like, gold brocade and, like, flower embroidered vests and, like, velvet jackets. That's because, you know, they're real vampires and not goth kids from Denim Springs. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me, Denim Springs. (laughs) Denim Springs might not have heard you, unfortunately. But (laughs) they they have the internet there now. Do we reach that far? Yeah, yeah, right? Do we reach that far? Our radius is pretty small. (laughs) Do we? I was actually heartened to hear about the vampire bar because I feel like we used to have a stronger goth contingent in the Anne Rice, Trent yeah. Reznor nineties. And uh, I feel like that's actually faded away. Like, or at least the, the presence at that end of Decatur, I, yeah. it's not as like visible as it used to be. I do. I do think you're right. Cause I mean, I haven't been 
back in, I don't know, four years. But the last time I was back, I do not remember seeing as many fancy goths as I used to. Well, if we could convince them to bring back the flouncy blouses among oh, their like bondage yeah. gear, oh. like really mix it up. You don't see them anymore because they're in Visigoths. Oh. <laughs> They've ascended. <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like the Anne Rice um, leaving this plane has like um, made room for them to like, there's like a vacuum of power. They're like oh, no. redescending upon the quarter to fight for territory. Good. Good. <laughs> bring them back. So I guess I'm probably going to read the rest of the books and watch the movies as I do that. Um, currently, this like it's so funny. Thomas and I are like swapping vampires right now because he read this and was like, "Oh yeah, I think you should. I think you'd like it. You should read it, and then we'll watch the movie." And as I was reading it, I was like, "This like feels very like Dracula to me in a lot of ways." And he was like, "Uh." And I was like, have you read Dracula? And he was like, yeah. And then he just like, because there were no other audiobooks available to check out from the library, decided, okay, I'm going to start listening to Dracula. And it turns out he had actually never read Dracula. So after he finishes that, we're probably going to watch the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, because I've never seen that one. Oh, I thought you I thought yeah, I would watch the Argento one. We might. We might, we might do both. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> oh no, it's it's. I know, so I, I I know, it's supposed to be a, one of his. Although worst. it is, it is a plot point in that movie that Dracula sent the entire village's like <laughs> children to college. He's like, do I not pay for your, <laughs> do I not pay for your loyalty? Do I not school your children? Like he, he legitimately is like, I pay for your kids to go to college so that you can bring me maidens. I mean, bring me my maidens. That's fair enough in this economy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So vampires and goths in the quarter kind of bring us right back to uh, Brandon at a horror movie festival in New Orleans. What What's going on there, Brandon? I did spend four days at the Overlook Film Festival at the Canal Place Theater, which was recently taken over by Britannia. Um, I was a little worried last time Overlook came here was in 2019 and the theater had gone bankrupt and I was worried that it was going to just like disappear and that the festival wouldn't have like its home base anymore. Um, and Britannia has bought the space and worked with them. So like for four days, it was just like the best horror movies that have not come out yet this year playing on the same like five screens with the same crowds like returning every single day, chatting in line, nerds as far as the eye could see in the lobby, everyone with their own podcast to promote. Sounds great. I, yeah, it was fantastic. I, I look forward to this all the time. I think there's maybe only two or three before COVID, and then there was that two year break. Yeah, because one was up here, and it was at the lodge up right. here that was the outside. Yeah, it didn't start in New Orleans. It yeah. started where they filmed the Shining interior scenes. Well, the they exterior. Had like a, um, oh, exterior Yeah, scenes, it bad. was just the exterior, um, other than like the mountains and stuff, because that was all Colorado. But it was the exterior, and it was here, which is an hour outside of the city. And it's a film festival, and they were expecting people to like pay to stay at this like kind uh, of fancy hotel. Yeah. And I was okay. like, I don't know how this is supposed to work. That's still how it is. Like, 
the vibe they want is this like sleepover slumber party where everyone just watches movies and hangs out for four days. Mm -hmm. And they have like planned activities outside of the films that play. So it's like trivia night, costume parties, just sort of like horror nerd games as yeah. if you're like a you know a 12 year old uh who just rented six movies from the major video cult classic shelf and you're all gonna watch them together until you fall asleep like that's the vibe for like an entire weekend yeah and that's all fine and dandy except when you're like an hour outside of the city and it's cost prohibitive <laughs> yeah i understand that yeah um i will say if you are in new orleans it is affordable to go you do not need to buy a festival pass for all the like activities and things because it was like 250 for access to everything. Um, I did not get a press pass this year. I did apply. It was, I was not accepted. <laughs> uh, I paid for individual tickets. I saw eight movies in four days, which was a lot for me, even though it was only like a third of the program. And I think it came out. I even bought a ticket for CC for one screening. So nine tickets came out like less than $130. Oh, wow. Nice. Not bad. No. And um, I drove home <laughs> after each day and, you know, slept in my bed. So it was a very affordable experience for a local. But I will say that um, standing in line, um, you could tell that most people were from out of town and bought like the whole festival package. Um, and we're having a great time having that whole like sleepover vibe. So... I don't know that a lot of locals actually attend it, but it is actually very affordable and accessible if you are in New Orleans and love horror movies. I'm not going to go into everything I saw because, like I said, I just I saw eight movies. Um, I'm still processing them. And I'm, if you go to Swamp Flicks this week for the next, like, six or seven days, you'll see a new movie review every day out of Overlook until I round them up. What I want to do is next time we do a Lanyap episode, I'd like to actually dig into the whole festival and everything that i saw there in the meantime i just want to promote its existence overlook really is like the best thing that happens in the new orleans film scene every year i'm very happy to have it back super appreciative that they enjoy it here and like i guess it's the haunted hotels and the haunted quarter tours that keep bringing them back uh, vampire speakeasies the, the vampire bars <laughs> yeah uh whatever it is the 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 dark magic of the city is uh treating me very well because uh there's always stuff I'm super excited about. I got to see a new Peter Strickland movie. There's a stop motion horror film that I was very excited to see on the screen. I think that's what I'm going to make y'all watch next episode so that we have a reason to talk about the festival a little more. Yeah, just next year, if you haven't been to Overlook before, uh, it usually happens sometime between May and June, and it's so worth your effort and time and money. It, it's really like a special thing that I hope continues on. One thing I did not express at that festival to anyone I talked to, uh, even though everyone was very friendly and chatty, uh, is that I'm not a huge Sam Raimi fan, <laughs> as discussed previously in this conversation. Yeah, keep that under your hat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it's a big How target. Dare you? It, during Pride Month, back in the closet with that bullshit. <laughs> what is gay about Sam Raimi? Explain yeah, I was going to gonna say. Okay, Xena. Okay, Zena, I'll give you Xena. <laughs> Nothing else, though. Uh, <laughs> well, recently I watched. Spider-Man, Oops, All Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Hot Twink Spider-Man. Too many Spider-Man. Spider-Man Answers the Speed Force. Uh, <laughs> the, the one movie from 2021 that people actually watched. I saw it recently, and I actually enjoyed it more than I expected to. Um, this is not a Sam Raimi film. I'm just bringing it up because 
there were a lot of in-jokes in it about previous Spider-Man movies that just, like, went way over my head. And I really liked how inscrutable it was. Like, it felt like um, in old comic books, they'd have to, like, see issue number whatever to see what the Sandman was from. Um, yeah. Because like, they're just characters, like, I didn't even know who they were. And I, I kind of enjoyed that about it. But there were a lot of in-jokes to Spider-Man 3, which is Sam Raimi's most um, dunked-on Spider-Man movie. Like, it's the one people think is, like, goofy and not great. And I went into it hoping for a misunderstood cult classic. <laughs> like, no. You know, like, campy, uh, goth kid, you know, uh, goofballery. It's not that. It's yeah, not. I'm going to let you finish <laughs> tell, telling what you're telling, but I'm going to tell you I already know where your first misstep was. <laughs> uh, assuming that movie was good? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not terrible. But that's the thing, is it's like, if it were one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, in general, that Sam Raimi cycle of Spider-Man movies is sort of generally entertaining, like... I really like how over the top and like comic booky it is in comparison to the recent Marvel stuff. Like he really maintains like a Saturday morning live action TV show for kids. Yeah. Vibe it feels movies. like it's really bad for your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pure sugar and tons of action. I feel like a lot of recent Marvel movies have big, long extended action scenes, but there's a lot of like discussions of like, moral obligation in between those set pieces. And Sam Raimi does not bother with that. It's just like constant goofball CGI, uh, just like thrown in your face for the entire time you're there. The problem with Spider-Man three is that the memes were what I was interested in. Like the memes of who's it, Toby Maguire, uh, brushing his bangs in front of his face and becoming your toxic indie scene boyfriend. And, uh, <laughs> just like going goth, really drew me in. I was like, okay, this looks like a fun over the top perversion of the Spider-Man character with that Venom symbiote that turns into a goth kid. And that's like maybe 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. So like, I, that. I kind of feel like I got tricked yeah. into watching something way more pedestrian than what I expected. Well, if it's, if it's any consolation, what people were trying to tell you is that it's a bad movie. But those <laughs> scenes are great though. <laughs> Those scenes are highly entertaining and yeah, special. Yeah, I was going to say, everything else is forgettable. Yeah. And I kind of will extend this critique into the Cube remake we'll talk about in a few minutes. But, like, that is the part of the movie that is a new idea and special to that Spider Man sequel. For you to contain it to 15, 20 minutes of a two and a half hour movie is, like, insulting. Like, if you're going to make a goofball goth kid Spider-Man movie, that has to be most of the movie. <laughs> I wish it was more fun than it was. Because I, I really had a... I was delighted by those 15 minutes of Spider-Man shooting finger guns at hot women in New York City. And then dancing the roof off his favorite jazz club. And just, just really fussing with his bangs a lot. And uh, experimenting with his haircut. <laughs> like, I really liked that stretch of the film. It's just, like, so small. Don't let the memes trick you into thinking the whole movie is that. And I I'm saying that at a time where um, everyone is revisiting Morbius right now through some sort of, oh like, astroturfed I think, meme campaign. Well, it only made $85,000, so I think we're overestimating <laughs> everyone. Everyone, we, yeah. We well, no. use that word. 
No, that's what's hilarious is like the memes tricked the studio into thinking there was a gen- genuine interest in the film. I was um, gonna say the like, internet is lying to everyone. <laughs> yeah, people were watching it for free on Discord. They're not gonna go to the theater to uh, to watch Morbius. Um, I got the better end of that deal. Uh, Morbius is not as entertaining as Spider Man Three, but uh, that is a very low bar. Uh, <laughs> neither movie's like especially worthwhile. The dance sequence in Spider-Man 3, I recently realized, uh, was very similar to... There's a dance sequence in Crime Wave, uh, Sam Raimi's movie from 1985 that was written with the Coen brothers, uh, which we talked about not terribly long ago, sometime in the past three or four episodes. But there's a very similar dance sequence that uh, if that was your favorite thing, then maybe Crime Wave is for you. How much Bruce Campbell content are we talking about in Crime Wave? He's very little. He's a cad. He's the heel that the protagonist's crush is on a date with who ditches her. And then they, in order to try and pay off their massive tabs at this restaurant, they try to win money uh, in the dance competition that I was just referencing. So he's in it very little. And every moment of it is worth a million dollars, but you know, <laughs> to each their own. Maybe I'll warm up to the man. I don't know. It hasn't happened yet, but it could happen. We just have to find pictures of him in a dress, like lounging by the pool, some sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, if you could get a cross-dressed Bruce Campbell posing sexy, that's probably the quickest way to my heart. Um, I don't know if you're going to find it, but he'll probably take commissions. He seems like a very affable gentleman. In yeah. real life. Let me see if I can find him on Cameo. <laughs> I do have one more quick one that's a recommendation for a new film from 2022 that reminded me a lot of a movie I saw at Overlook in 2019 and was actually championed by that film's director. Um, I don't know if y'all caught One Cut of the Dead when that was like a festival darling a few years ago. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a one shot zombie movie where the whole thing is like done in one take until it's not. And I will not spoil it where it goes after that, but like it ended up being this like really beautiful love letter to DIY filmmaking. And the director of it has sort of like anointed the film's like spiritual follow-up in this sci-fi movie called beyond the infinite two minutes. And I think y'all might find beyond the infinite two minutes charming. It's not as good as one cut of the dead, but it's a little self-contained time travel movie where this guy who works in a coffee shop and lives in an apartment above it realizes that his computer monitor is two minutes behind the TV in the coffee shop. So like he can communicate with himself two minutes into the future, which is a very small power to have. <laughs> and he keeps trying to game the system to see what he can do with this like two minutes of time. Cause you can't like predict the lottery or right. like really influence yourself to do anything significant. But more and more of his friends start noticing that he's playing with this two minute time delay and get involved and start pushing the limitations of what it can, can do. And they end up putting the two monitors in front of each other to create this like infinite hall of mirrors where you can kind of see more and more into the future. If you peer through the frames on a two minute delay. So it's like two minutes, four minutes, six minutes, etc. And it gets really complicated and it's all 
one simulated shot. It's not actually a one shot movie. Like uh, they hide a lot of the cuts by like zooming into a shadow or like someone's clothes or something like that. Right. But it's not really about that. It's more about like um, real time. You know, it's about like making sure to do as much as you possibly can within like a 70 minute time frame. So it's more about like the continued running clock than it is about the one shot gimmick. And it is really funny and charming and cute and also mildly terrifying because they'll do things to influence their future behavior. And then when it doesn't pan out, they are scared to conflict it. So like if they are told that in the next two minutes they should do something, they do it and it doesn't work out. But they're like, what if I don't tell my past self to do that? Am I going to create a paradox? So like they act chipper and they're like, oh yeah, go ask that girl out on a date or go um, look for money in this like garbage bin over here. Uh, And they have to pretend that it all works out great because that's what they were already told by their future selves. And it gets really like into like circular logic and self-perpetuating reality in that way. It's a very charming little movie. And it's the kind of like low budget genre filmmaking they play at Overlook every year, except it's sci-fi and not horror. So uh, it, it is in the wheelhouse of all the stuff I've been watching. It's just slightly different genre. Like Event Horizon. <laughs> yes, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes is exactly like Event Horizon. <laughs> or uh, what's that one show with the newspapers? Early Edition. Yes, thank it you. Is like, it's a lot more like Early Edition <laughs> than Event Horizon. That's more accurate. In this lesson, let's move on to cube numbers. Imagine a shape made up of cube-shaped blocks. Here we have a shape made up of a number of these blocks. Let's look at a way of working out how many blocks there are. First of all, split the block into four layers. Each layer has got four rows and four columns. In other words, each layer has 16 blocks. The number of blocks in the cube is 4 times 16, which is 64. To get this answer, we have 4 layers of squares made up of 4 rows and 4 columns. So the number of blocks is 4 times 4 times 4, which equals 64. Any positive integer multiplied by itself and then by itself again is called a cube number. This means 64 is a cube number. We can write this as 4 to the power 3 or 4 cubed. Just a moment ago we broke so that we could all get our respective replenishment of our hydration. And Ali, I wanted to tell you specifically I am drinking out of a Taco Bell 1984 Star Trek Three Search for Spock glass <gasps> that I obtained <laughs> at a vintage store uh, this That's past amazing. weekend. It says Spock lives, and it has the three faces of Spock, like the three faces of Hecate, on one side. Oh, that's amazing! And the other has his like opening torpedo coffin. Yeah. And I did uh, 20 minutes of searching online and could not find any indication that this paint is lead so i am using it i just wanted to let you know that i'm drinking water out of my taco bell commemorative glass episode 50 everybody yeah star trek has entered the chat it wouldn't be our 50th episode without it it would be sad 
the people know what they're here for. They yeah. know what they're getting. Especially because we don't have the first cube to bring up Deep Space Nine. So Yeah, if you could find any actor in this film that's in a Star Trek series, I'd be very impressed. Okay. Let's let's slouch toward Bethlehem and talk about this movie. So we have talked about Cube. We've talked about Cube Two Hypercube. We've talked about Cube Zero. This is a very cube. <laughs> This is a very cube-heavy podcast. This podcast is us in the cube. (laughs) I was so excited to learn uh, that there was going to be a Japanese remake of Cube, you know, right around the time that we recorded our first episode about Cube 2, the uh, Cube 1, the original Cube. Cube Prime. Cube Prime. And I, you know, mentioned back then that my roommate of many years... Uh, is also a Cube fan, and that, in fact, his favorite Cube was Cube 2 Hypercube, while mine is, of course, Cube Original Flavor Cube Prime. And I was trying to align our schedule so that we could watch it together before he um, went on holiday, uh, which is what I'm calling it because he was in Europe instead of just vacation. I'm calling it his holiday. And unfortunately, that could not be aligned. And also, unfortunately, as soon as I finished watching it, I picked up my phone and I texted him that it is with great regret that I must inform you that Cube 2021 Japanese Cube sucks. Uh, I did not care for this. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, the plot is essentially the same as the original Cube, except in ways that you might think of to make it worse. <laughs> I mean, the ways just make it feel more Japanese to me, but yeah. I don't, I don't know. I know that there are cultural differences. Like, I'm not going to be like one of those people that's like, oh, I just don't get it. I I understand where a lot of this is coming from. I have many notes because I was taking notes uh, and I was just like, I'm going to have so much to talk about because I really was excited. It wasn't like I came into this movie thinking like, oh, this is going to suck I hate remakes. I hate, you know, foreign adaptations of films that I like. I, I'm not that guy. I want to see, you know, every culture interpret The Wizard of Oz. I want to see it all. I'm very fascinated by it. And this was just, it was worse than all of the other cubes in every conceivable way. I was so disappointed like personally disappointed by this movie don't you think there's some like karma to there being so many bland american versions of great japanese, japanese horror movie? films yeah that, that now they've gotten back on, uh, to us um not that not that the original cube is american it's not american it's canadian <laughs> but uh it does feel like a, a reversal of North the american. Flow of things yeah brandon i would have thought with the increase in traps you would have enjoyed it more i did also increase want to bring in what that up. way there are there more of more them traps okay i guess okay i counted no you're right there is a higher number of traps but the on-screen deaths as a result of traps are low and uninspired in so many ways like maybe there's two good kills in the movie but it's the same deal as the first cube where like the cold open in this film where a mysterious person gets a meat cube punched out of their body by the death trap is a 
false promise of what will be delivered in subsequent scenes <laughs> like that. You never return to the high of that initial kill, which is the exact problem I had with the original cube film. I, I don't know. I think the spiky branches are pretty cool. I liked the fractals, but spiky branches is also. A That's interesting. My, my second favorite was the laser kill. So maybe, maybe there's three decent kills in the film. But... So there I wrote down the, the traps that we've got. All right. So we've got, what you just described, which is the square cutter, is what I wrote down in my Great. notes. Great. <laughs> um, square cutter, yeah. The, the spears sl- slash spikes room. There's the flamethrower. Which doesn't touch anybody. True. The descending blades. I called that the fan room. Yes, the fan room. <laughs> the, the fizzy razor- lifting drinks. <laughs> There's the razor wire net room. Doesn't touch anybody. Oh, the sound net. Yeah. The gas room. The room where the gas comes in. Yeah. Uh, the lasers, where it zooms in and then like, like Halo. Um, and then I have uh, bars with with an asterisk because I don't know if those are a trap or not. But the there's the room where the bars <laughs> oh, just yeah. come up in yeah, the middle. The bars. Um, there's the room with the trap that. Here's what I have written in my notes: the screen that shows you your fears. That room was a psychological fatality. <laughs> Yeah. What a coward's way out. You cannot drum up enough psychological terror within the cube that you have to like show the world outside and like replay a memory. I have three pages of notes on every single one of them I have written at least once. We should never leave the cube. That's <laughs> yeah, the point. Seriously. You shouldn't leave the cube. That's cowards. the whole deal. Yeah. It's an ontological mystery. You're supposed to be in the cube, not knowing how you got there. Not knowing why you're there, not knowing if you're in hell or purgatory, right. like you're never supposed to leave the cube. Period. Could not agree more. Except on this podcast, right? <laughs> I <laughs> we're, don't. We're gonna know. disagree. <laughs> no, no, yo, you're right. Can I say that if we only did podcast episodes about the cube series, that this podcast would actually be an easier sell? because i was talking to like some people at overlook and they were like oh what do you do and i'm like oh i have a movie blog and a podcast with friends i'm like oh yeah is it like horror themed i'm like there really is no theme it's just whatever we feel like talking about from week to week which is not brandable like i cannot sell this podcast to outsiders um (laughs) you know what i mean like the the best i could say is that people have lived in new orleans before and now they talk on this show it's it's like a you know um, um a, a Gulf Coast Seinfeld. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. <laughs> but uh, if we only talked about Cube, I feel like that would be a very clear concept that you could sell. So there you go. Just one episode per trap from here on out. Yeah. Or it will be a podcast where we design our own cubes. Oh my god. <laughs> Build your own cube. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, I did not care for this. I didn't think it was shot very interestingly. I don't think that there was enough differentiation between the characters. You know, that's also something that I understand and recognize would be something a racist would say about this movie. But genuinely, all three. You're talking about (laughs) character, not how they look. (laughs) But like, they didn't have any fat people. They, you know, there's like a kid, a lady, and a businessman, and then three 
Three young men who all look like pop idols. And I'm not kidding. If you Google them, every single one of them has been in an underwear campaign. Like there's not like every single one of them has either been in an underwear campaign or like on the first landing page before you even scroll down in Google images, it's them in their underwear or shirtless. They genuinely cast three men who look very similar. One old guy, one child and one lady who in my notes, I say, why is she even there? And then at the end, we find out, and it's the worst reason it could be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm watching this movie, and there's, you know, they've taken away, like, the agency that Levin had in this first one away from a woman and given it to a child. I was furious. I'll be honest. Yeah. That whole deal. Mm-mm-mm. I, I even, you know, again, we find out why immediately after, but there's the whole scene of confrontation between our lead, the antagonist, which I have my own problems with, and, you know, the kid is there. And during that whole scene, I'm like, where is she? What is she doing? Why is she not getting involved? Like, literally, this movie made yes. me think that this woman was just standing around while men fought in the next room over uh-huh. doing nothing. And I, I agree. I, I, you know, I don't. I don't think we need to worry about not spoiling this movie. It does turn out that it's because she's like the fucking AI interface. She is the cube. <laughs> she's Siri. She's a literal object. I couldn't believe it because um, you know, yeah. Part of the fun of original zesty cube, zesty flavored cube, is that like. <laughs> They don't know why they're there. They all have conflict with one another because of their worldviews, which is present in this movie, but like to its detriment. And then like kind of trying to figure out if any of them are related to the cube and finding out that like, yeah, you know, um, what's his name's character? The guy from Stargate Atlantis is like, yeah, I actually, you know, worked on the outer hull design of the cube. And everyone actually, there's the implication that everyone might actually have been a little bit more involved with it than they thought. Whether it was Holloway with, like, her psychology. And, you know, I'm sorry. I'm saying a lot about what I think. What were your thoughts in this one? I mean, it's a movie. Uh, It's easy to, like, hate on remakes and stuff. But, like, I like that they kept... A lot of the cube aesthetic. Yeah. Because I I feel like, you know, it's too easy to be like, oh, we can make a fancier, shinier cube. It does look more expensive, but it is limited in the same way. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's still very minimal. Like, they didn't try to, like, gussy up the cube. (laughs) And, you know, uh, Brandon and I mentioned it, like, before we started recording, but we were talking about the antagonist uh, and the whole idea of the millennial condition and the idea of is like i like the question especially in this day and age is is outside the cube much better (laughs) um because like it's almost like stockholm syndrome with the cube (laughs) like outside the cube i'm just a part-time worker inside the cube i can crawl around and get killed by a trap like what you have a clear sense of purpose yeah i was so mad (laughs) when you were mad at like the generational warfare 
I was mad at the form that it took. Okay. okay. In the sense that uh, I actually had in my notes very early on that I assumed the business guy would be like the cop equivalent, right? And he kind of is. Well, not really, though, because the, the cop equivalent, his whole thing is that in a movie like this, your first thought is that the cop character is going to be the one to take charge and get them out of there and be the hero. And sort of the thing about Cube, original Cube, is that that's not the case. He's actually the worst person in there. The other people might be criminals and what he thinks of as bleeding hearts and people who are mentally handicapped or mentally challenged, uh, otherwise disabled, but they're all much worthier than he is with this implication of the kind of violence that he exacts in his personal life and domestically and all of that. I think just by that factor alone, the original Cube is a classic. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. And at one point in my notes, I'm like, why is this guy so dim? And I'm talking about like the, the guy who ends up being the villain in this. I, wait, I see where you're going with this. And it's a very funny thing for me to like overlook because uh, I... Always forget about consequences to premise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where like I was very excited by his argument with the older guy about the entitlement of the older man's generation. He's not wrong. I latched onto that and I forgot that there was like a follow through and consequence um, because I never am as interested in narrative consequences as I am to like the wind up. <laughs> <laughs> I look. I I agree because okay. So in the first movie. You've got Quentin and Holloway, right? And he's the cop and she's the psychiatrist. And she's like, oh, you're a fascist. And he's like, oh, you're a bleeding heart, you know, whatever. And so there's inherent conflict there, as there is here with this intergenerational argument. However, the way that the sort of, I think the, I think the Japanese slang term is like freeder, like people who just like kind of work menial part-time jobs as opposed to like salarymen that he's like you know sort of just like floating through life but he doesn't behave with any kind of like dispassionate attitude right he's like really desperate to please this businessman and he's constantly using like the formal like the formal version of his name and all of this Everybody's really using that, that formal version of his name. Like, even if they're not necessarily speaking to him formally, they're always calling him Ando-san, which is like, and that's, I don't know. That's the big Japanese cultural difference, I feel like, that the movie brings into the cube. Yeah. Is just the respect for your elders as someone who's, you know... Just older. <laughs> yeah, and, and deserves to be taken care of by the younger people who are, like, more able-bodied in general, but, like... I found it kind of like perversely thrilling that a character would challenge that in the first place. I, I just forgotten that there was like a follow through where the movie makes that villainous after it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so thrilled by the uh, transgression. That's the thing is that, you know, you're saying like, oh, this older man, he deserves to be carried through based upon his seniority and like, you know, the other people being more able bodied, but he doesn't respect them at all. And he expects to be taken care of, which is uh, the sort of the presumption of like an older generation. And it's something that we're currently struggling with in the U.S. where it's like, respect me, respect me, respect me. It's like, dude, you, you, my, my brother in Christ, it's you who destroyed the world, you know? And so 
for me, what was frustrating is that he becomes this sort of equivalent of Quentin, who in the original movie, we know decisively is incorrect. That there's this change from him being the presumed leader and the presumed hero to him being the outright villain. And that, in fact, that is because he has been treated with the privilege of society that it extends to people in the police force, despite whether or not they deserve it. And for that to be turned on its head, where the person who in this film is expressing a somewhat more leftward sentiment that his generation has been left behind, turns out to be the villain and the killer and goes full on Joker in a way that like narratively to me (laughs) happens so quickly and like I didn't feel earned. It didn't feel narratively cohesive to me. I had like kind of forgotten it happened. Like the the I really latched onto their argument, and I found that argument very cathartic, where they were just like laying it all out on the table, like arguing against each other's entitlement in a way that was like very vicious. I was like, oh wow, we're talking about some real shit here. Finally, an hour and a half into the movie, like we're really getting into something, uh, and then. I had just completely like breezed over the fact that like the movie chose a side after that. Yeah. And it chose to vilify <laughs> the person who was in the right, at least as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. It definitely, uh, it's weird because once again, it's like, it's choosing to vilify him, but it's also maybe even weirdly sympathetic because like when he's having his big heated argument with the guy whose brother died. Like, that guy is like, all right, yeah, the world sucks, but... <laughs> um, So it's like, you're a little sympathetic, but he's still the villain. You're still like, oh, he's irrational because he's upset about how society is set up. Yes. At least the uh, little kid is never punished for saying, I hate adults and right? sticking with that conviction right? <laughs> throughout the film. He in gets fact, to have that opinion. In fact, he's correct. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> I I even have in my notes and these bullet points are are just 3 points away from each other. Why is that one guy so dim? And then I hope the dim guy isn't the villain. I don't know. I I just didn't care for it. I don't I he his point of view is not dim, but the the performance that's being given as I interpret it is meant to make him seem foolish. So that sounds accurate. I thought at a certain point it seemed like he was very much like acting that way on purpose, though. Yeah, he seemed like a plant yeah. at first, and then you kind of realize yes. that, like, oh no, that's just how he is. Well, no, I think as you go on, especially when he leads them to the last room that he knew there was a prime number in, even though at the beginning he's like, "What's a prime number?" It's like, dude, you just found out what this was like hours ago. How do you know? that one of these rooms yeah. has a pride number just by looking at it. You know, it seems like he actively was trying to sow discord and chaos and like pick people off. And then, you know, you get to the part with the room with the, the sound barbed wire and, you know, he gets the older guy's leg cut. So and mm, after yeah. that point in the movie, like when you know he's found when you know he's led them to a specifically prime number room, it kind of makes all of his other actions like all the more sinister. I honestly think you're thinking about it harder than the people who wrote it did. 
Maybe. I don't know. I think I'm just thinking about it in terms of like anime. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he is a stock <laughs> character that like I'm missing the context for, but like everything felt very surface level and not well thought through in this. Because I feel like there's like a whole trope of like anime characters who like are secretly masterminding the whole situation and revealed to be evil. Sure, but I feel like this is the kind of movie that would have made that so clear the way it makes like the androids function in the cube extremely unambiguous at the end. Yeah. Like, I feel like if that's what they were going for, they would have like really hammered it home so you could not miss it. I don't know. I, I just really felt like this movie had no ideas it felt like following through on. Like, yeah. There's a suggestion that the cube is like emotionally charged. Yeah. Which is like the one new idea that it brings to the table here where it's like if someone gets very violently upset in the cube that like that sets off traps yeah. whether or not yeah. you're in a prime number room. And like that was exciting. Yeah, that but, was like, exciting. Nothing comes of it. I wish I <laughs> wish they had done more with that. Yeah. And I feel like the generational stuff isn't pushed in any way beyond that surface either. Like nothing feels very thought through beyond like an in the moment gag. So yeah, the cube with like psychological and emotional uh warfare and trap violence is the cube we want. I mean, at least it's a new thing. We've seen four cube movies now. You need to bring something to the table. See, this is this is build your own cube time. <laughs> build the cube. They made me agree with the businessman in his very first scene. Because he's like, what is a child? Why is there a child here? And that's me. Every time I go somewhere <laughs> and there's a child there, I'm like, what is a child doing here? <laughs> so I, I was like, God damn it, you're making me agree with who what who I presumed was going to end up being the villain, but which but who turned out to be right all along. Uh because, you know, it's like if we were watching Snowpiercer and at the end we found out that Tilda Swinton's character was like they were like, No, this is actually the way it should be. <laughs> She's right. The shoe does go on the foot and you belong in the shoe. Um I didn't like how they all just said their names. I didn't like how they all just said their occupations. I did think the cube design was cool. You would hate M. Night Shyamalan's old, which is, that's half the dialogue in the movie, is someone stating their name and occupation. (laughs) Almost to the point where it's like an in-joke. I was thinking a lot about that during these scenes. Huh. I kind of liked that they did show someone, like, having to do, like, written down math, because that was, like, the hardest like sell for me like in the first cube is how could you just like i know she's supposed to be like a, a a number genius but really so i actually wrote something down about that too because there's a scene because in general i actually think it is pretty easy to figure out like whether or not something is prime so because if yes you see that no. there's a number that ends with a, an even number or with yeah five, i was gonna say then yes. Even number five or zero, you got those. And you're, you're just avoiding, if it has an even number, if it's, as long as it has, you know, not all primes in the first one, you're good to go, right? But in this one, one of the numbers I think was like 443, and I was like, oh, I would have been screwed. Exactly. <laughs> I never like, would have guessed that it was like... So I had that conversation afterwards with Thomas, who's much better at math than I am, and I was like, he was like, how does she know? How can she just look at that? How can she, how is she not doing any math? Like these numbers are big. Like unless you have them memorized at that point, like you're not gonna know. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
I guess you're right. Oh, man. The moment that really hit me in the heart, one of the characters was like, what if these numbers are an IP address? Yes. And I was like, I fucking wish. (laughs) (laughs) It would be amazing if you brought something to the table like that. Please do anything. Like, okay, we could argue about the movie being like politically wrong or not being violent enough. There's a lot of things that you could argue, but like it's only crime really is just being a fucking bore. Like long, unnecessary pauses, not a lot of dialogue, even though it's longer than any other movie in this franchise. It's just treading water for so long. And even the sequences of them like doing cube math, scraping numbers with that button from their uniform onto the metal are just like endless montages of numbers and numbers and numbers that don't really like mean anything to the ideas of the movie. Like it just feels very just stuck in limbo looking for a reason to exist. And I'm not sure it ever comes up with one. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even really shot in a very interesting way. Like there was a moment where there was like a um, scene where they're coming up out of the floor. Right. And so you're just focusing on the hatch as it starts to open, and then they climb up out of it. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it have been interesting if this was actually like a side hatch or a ceiling hatch? And it like made me feel disoriented. Wouldn't that have been cool? And it didn't bother. The other three Cube movies have done. Even Cube Zero did that. Even Cube Zero did it. Why are we saying even Cube Zero when it's like one of the best ones? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If, if there's any like consistency to these is that they all kind of feel like television. Like they don't really feel like a movie that's like made for the movie theater. And this one even maintains like the, the uh, cuts the, of the, black. The, the cuts like, of black. Breaks. That's in my notes. What was up with that? <laughs> well, Ooh, the first, very strange. the first one had cuts to black as well. Oh yeah. It, it That felt traditional. Like why did they keep it? That's the question. <laughs> they you know? kept the aesthetic of the cube, okay? <laughs> I guess, like, the same way that if you're a huge Fast and Furious fan and you, like, are waiting for the scene where the family has won their, um, you know, street race of the day and they all go to the family cookout and raise Coronas in the air and then Vin Diesel mumbles about family. Like, maybe you cheer for the cut to black uh, it's like a cube signature. <laughs> it's like, uh, thank God he's drinking Coronas again. I remember this. Uh, it's like a nostalgia thing. Because <laughs> it's, it's a, a very like essential part of the franchise at this point. Yeah. I think you do need the, the cuts to black to be a cube movie now. Can I just go ahead and tell you my rankings of cube films at this point? Yeah. Okay. Best one, Cube Prime. Agreed. Second best, Cube Zero. Agreed. Third best, Hypercube. Uh-huh. This one, the worst. Yeah. All of them, 2.5 stars. Almost <laughs> oh good. None of them great. <laughs> See, I think, the f- I think the first one is great. And I think yeah. after that, you kind of get into TV movie territory. Yes, I agree. I agree completely. My yeah, rankings are fun. almost the same. I just think they get worse every time. I think Hypercube might be like, so I might go cube cube zero and then hypercube and then this one. Oh wow okay i guess i'm outnumbered and i i always agree with whoever spoke last so no no <laughs> no make your make your hypercube case no i can't 
I always disagree with whoever spoke last. I'm trying to have a take here. Yeah, you, know? you got to have a hot take. <laughs> I never at any point in this movie had the feeling that they were getting anywhere. You no, know, no. like in Cube and Cube 2 Hypercube, you do get the feeling of a sense of momentum and motion and moving forward. Whereas I know that they were just chasing their tails in previous movies and this one. But in this one, I, I, I never felt like they convinced me they weren't. There's an image that almost conveys that on purpose where they um, mimic the spinning top from Inception. Yeah. Where they spin the uh, little, little button, button that they've been yeah. writing their math equations with. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of lasts like too long. I don't know where they were going with that, but it really like hammered home the fact that nothing's happening in this. <laughs> There's like way too many pauses uh, of just like empty screen time. This is a real argument for Cube being a physical version of Limbo, <laughs> where yeah. we're just kind of like waiting it out until the credits roll. I hated this. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the exact same way I have about all Cube movies, where it's like, the bones are here for an interesting film. There are fun moments of novelty that really make me want to root for it. And just like it refuses to perform. I, I keep getting like wily coyote'd or keeping it let off the cliff again with a promise of like a good time where the truth of the matter is that like the two escape room films are the only good cube movies that exist. <laughs> if I write my, uh, cube rectangular prison movie i will uh i'll I'll send you the scripts you can you'd be like i would not watch this ally and i'll be like perfect gonna send it off can't be any worse (laughs) look i'm gonna go ahead and and make my case here cube 1997 is a work of art it's made on a very it's not just because it's made on a cheap budget although that is part of it that is a movie that has genuine consequences and stakes and the people feel real. And every time I watch it, it takes me on a journey. These other movies do not at all. And so I would agree with you about your rankings, but Cube, classic flavor Cube, is not just a run of the mill. Oh, no, I like the original Cube a lot. It's great. I think Brandon is the outlier here in finding the original Cube just, eh. It's my favorite of the batch because it's the one that feels the most genuine as like a cult object. Like, I do want to root for it as low budget filmmaking with big ideas. I just have yet to be satisfied by any of these films. And I have, I believe, in general, fairly low standards. So I'm not sure what it is in this series. But uh, I keep coming to the table excited and then leaving dejected. And it it, it never changes. (laughs) (laughs) it's the same experience every single time okay now that we've seen all four do we have like an all-time favorite cube trap i'm not gonna lie the best two are from the cold opens of the 1997 cube prime and the 2021 japanese cube remake i love the meat cube hole puncher was so good (laughs) those are both great I my vote goes to zero gravity room in which you have sex to death. Oh, oh that's also yeah! a contender. Definitely in, in the Hypercube, top three. That was a good one. I I like in Hypercube the weird crystalline entity that kills. Oh yes, the like ever expanding multi dimension. It's like the fan room, but the yeah. fans are in like six dimensions. 
Yeah, exactly. And I like the meat cube hole punch as well. I don't like the iTunes visualizer kill from <laughs> See, Hypercube. that's the one that's I was just talking, talking about. about. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I didn't like the uh, the fractal kill from this one. just felt like a, a gothy re-edit of that one. Um, neither of those worked for me. They don't feel very tactile or anything. I, I think know. that's what makes them like weird and uncanny to me is I'm like, oh, I don't want to touch that. Like, those are the ones that genuinely, like, I'm like, that kind of makes me nervous. Like, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't want to be killed by that. Whereas, like, all the other ones, you know, I can find some entertainment, like, on a cheap horror film person level. But, like, those two, genuinely, I'm like, oh, no, iTunes the, most of them kill. feel Most of them feel like industrial intentionals by which i mean they're the opposite of industrial accidents accidents yes (laughs) most of them feel that way um but there's you know there's something about some of the ones that feel more like uh bizarre and existential that i like i like the i like the sort of stabby tree root thing it's like the rest of it it's like you're in a tool video that was going wrong and that one was like you were in a bjork (laughs) video that was going wrong yeah exactly (laughs) Can I recommend that on your free time, you maybe check out the Escape Room films? Or is that something I have to make y'all watch with a podcast choice in the future? Is there any likelihood that you would venture outside the cube to see a cube-like movie that I actually think does it well? Mm. I'm no, gonna I say, would. <laughs> I'm going to say there's a 0% chance that I'll watch it on my own. But I would accept, ah. I would accept watching both of them for a single episode. Ooh. Damn the responsibility of this power. Ooh. <laughs> That's a curse. So I would go either way. Like, if you do a future episode where you do both, I would definitely watch them then. But I also would watch them on my own. So look forward to episode 75, Once More Into the Cube, which <laughs> in about a year's time not actually should be hitting the, the feed. Cube. <laughs> cube this time, not the cube. Escape Cube. Escape Cube. Whatever we end up calling it. And, and so maybe we by wept. that point, I will be able to read you excerpts of my Cube 4 screenplay from, you know, our build your own cube sessions that we have off podcast that no one knows about. Before we fully move on, I do want to note that I feel like the jumpsuits in this movie have fully come around in a way that like in 1997, it would have been like this sort of like industrial post-apocalyptic look for everyone to be wearing these like matching jumpsuits. But I feel like every fashion forward competition show I watch on reality TV now, like whatever the Amazon version of project runway was uh, (laughs) with uh, Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn that I can't remember the name of and like similar reality competition shows like that, that are trying to like do the next version of what street fashion is going to be. Everyone kind of dresses like this now and like all these beautiful underwear models with like no pores uh in this film oh my god uh, wearing these like matching jumpsuits it just feels like what streetwear looks like right now so i feel like it's like fully come around the fashion's like like actually on point we do live in a dystopian future dystopian times yeah (laughs) so for sure we might dressing appropriately we might as well get our communist pajamas on the only uh defector is cube two hypercube 
where they all just wear their regular clothes and they're not assigned a uniform. Right. Which may, maybe why it like slipped down the ranking slightly. Yeah. Otherwise it's all been like a regular descending scale uh, of diminished returns. Where do I get some cube boots? I need some, some boots I can throw into the rooms in case they're trapped. You need like Doc Martens that your like older brother's been wearing exactly. for 20 years. <laughs> some like hand-me-down Docs. Yeah. Yeah, their shoes always seem very worn in for people who just arrived there. I think they're from all the dead bodies that cleaned up. They're just like, oh, mm. we can reuse this. <laughs> they're like bowling shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my exact oh, shoe. Yeah. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a size 12 over here. Perfect. Well, I must say that when I finished watching this movie, I did weep, for there were no more cubes to conquer. <laughs> for now. For now. For now. Next episode of this podcast will be our Father's Day episode. Uh, James decided that we were going to watch our dad's favorite movies oh my God. for the next episode. And I will say it is mostly what you would expect, with one of our dads being more of an intellectual than everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, a lot of over-the-plate mainstream movies, and then one Criterion classic among them uh, next episode. Uh, Starting with Field of Dreams, the Kevin Costner baseball movie about ghosts who really love to come back from the dead and pitch the ball around. Classic dad movie. That is such a dad movie. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) R.I.P. Oh, yeah, and Ray Liotta was in it, which I did not expect. Yeah. That is a great pull, by the way. I don't know how you just did that. Did what? How did you remember that Ray Liotta He's is in that movie? Just super impressive in that way. I feel like Boomer has like this encyclopedic like reference of the actors human IMDb. And actors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, y'all. It means it means a lot to finally be recognized for something that I actually have spent a lot of time passively exploiting. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Bye. What are we talking about here? Yo, it's one universal law, but two sides to every story. Three strikes and you bitten for life. Mandatory. Four MCs murdered in the last four years. I ain't trying to be the fifth when the millennium is here. There are six million ways to die from the seven deadly thrills. Eight-year-olds getting found with nine mils. It's 10 p.m. where your C's at. What's the deal? They on the hill pumping krills to keep their bellies filled. Light in the ass with heavy steel. Sights on the pretty shit in life. Young soldiers trying to earn their next strike. When the average minimum wage is 515. You best believe you gotta find a new grind to get cream. The white unemployment rate is nearly more than triple for black. Some frontliners got their gun in your back. Bubble and crack. Jewels after robbery to combat poverty and end up in the global jail economy. Stiffer stipulations attached to each sentence. Budget cutbacks but increased police presence. And even if you get out of prison, still living, join the other five million under state supervision. This is business. No faces, just lines and statistics from your phone, your zip code to SSI digits. The system Break man channel women in the figures Two columns for who is and who ain't niggas Numbers is hard and real and they never have feelings But you push too hard, even numbers got limits Why did one straw break the camel back? Here's the secret The million other straws underneath it It's all mathematics I'm mighty most definitely <laughs> It's simple mathematics Check it out <laughs> I revolve around science What are we talking about here? It's mighty most definitely <laughs> It's simple mathematics <laughs> Mathematics, 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 mathematics.